Let's talk some uh, DFS from a guy that uh, actually wins playing DFS. We told you, DailyRoto.com. It's a $1 a month. And uh, even if you signed up on uh, the last day of the month, it would still be worth it uh, to $1 to get all the optimizers, projections, live chats, and analysis uh, from experts like uh, Drew Dinkmeyer, who joins us on Red Heat and Rage slash lineup lock live. Drew, thanks for taking uh, some time to be with us, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Good stuff, good stuff. So, you know, I, when it comes to baseball, I find it, uh, it's there's so many players. It is, you know, it's very difficult. And I find myself, I get caught up with my own eyeball test uh, too much. Or, all right, this guy's doing great. This guy has a great track record against yeah. the pitcher. And recently I've been trying to just sort of embrace myself and surrender to the numbers. For you... Is it a cross between what the math says and what your gut instinct says? Do you come down to the best options of what the optimizer is saying and say, well, I like this guy better than this? You know, walk walk people through how they can use these optimizers and the tools and fantasy projections if they're not just doing a straight, like, you know, lineup projector. Yeah, so I think the the challenges with using even optimizers in, in baseball is, like, our top, like, 30 or 40 lineups on any given night are going to be projected like one to two points apart. They're all going to be projecting super, super tight. Um, so what I think projections and what optimizers help you do is I think what they do is they help sort out a player pool for you and narrow down the list of options. You know, usually most ga- most nights we're dealing with 15 games. That's, you know, a ton of hitters that you're having to sort through. Uh, over 100 hitters that you're trying to figure out. It's uh, almost like a lottery combination. Right? Too, there's a lot of different numbers that can come up, right? Like there's, yeah, there's it, a lot of different it, variables. Yeah. It, it certainly feels that way. So I think what projections do well for you is that they can help you narrow down a player pool in terms of the options that you're focusing on. Now, you can do that without projections, too. I mean, there's easy ways to kind of do that by looking in on, you know, teams with the highest implied totals. So if you see a game yeah. with a really high total, in a team that is favored in that game, they usually have a high implied total, like the Yankees tonight have the highest implied total on the slate. So there's some easy ways you can do that without projections. But I think what projections do a really helpful job of is trying to separate you know, how good a hitter is in his situation uh, separate from how good his team is. And so a lot of times I think it's easy to kind of figure out which teams are going to be uh, are going to generate some of the highest owned and highest projected hitters on the slate. But sometimes there's pr- players, individual players, that just have great matchups themselves because of the skill set that they have and the opposing pitcher that they're going against and the bullpen that's behind that pitcher that really matches up well, and they might be on a team with an implied total of like four and a half that just goes a little bit overlooked on the slate. And I think that's where projections can really help uh, differentiate. Do you find uh, that the – is one sport – is are the projections better for one sport? I'm not just talking about daily roto, but in general, are projections more or less accurate? Are like are different sports more difficult to project even for the computers than than others? Like you know, for instance, like are baseball projections more accurate than football projections or basketball projections per se or golf projections? Yeah, so every sport has its own unique level of variance associated with it because of the unique scoring of the sport. And some sports have much more variance than others. So certainly it'll feel like projections are much more accurate relative to the other sports in a sport like basketball, where there's hundreds of possessions in an individual game. There's only five players on each side. Um, the, The sport that has the most variance in terms of projecting is golf. 
because golf has the cut in the middle of the week that just eliminates and wipes out half the field. And so if you're not good enough in those first two rounds, um, you don't get the opportunity to score in the other two rounds. I would say baseball and football are more kind of in the middle in terms of variance. Um, they're certainly scoring dependent. Like in football, a touchdown drives so much value. In baseball, a home run drives so much value. And you can see small iterations uh, in differences that make a huge impact in scoring. So, like, if my player hits a 410-foot fly ball to dead center field um, in Seattle, that's yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, if they hit a 410-foot fly ball to right <laughs> field in Yankee Stadium, that's a home run, and it's a difference of 14 you points. Sound, or, you, you, sound like, you sound like a gambler now. Yeah. This sounds what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. If I was in any other park, that's a home run. I just lost my bet. <laughs> yeah, so that, in, yeah. that introduces variance in, in the projections for sure, whereas in basketball, there's nothing like that, right? Like, okay, yeah, you, you rim out a three-pointer. It's only worth three points. It's not worth – 14 or 18 points, depending on the score on the site that you're playing on. So it's just the, the scoring systems and the games are unique in their own rights. And, and with those games, they have different levels of, of variance associated with the projections. Let me ask you uh, then, um, you know, you mentioned out of 40 or 50 lineups yeah. on a typical baseball night, how many lineups would you have like on a, on just on a, on a routine okay. night for you? Yeah, so it totally depends on, on the slate for me. Like tonight, there's a, a good lower stakes, uh, you know, GPP on DraftKings that has 150 entry max, and I'm going to throw 150 into that. Um, wow. Nice when I'm like hand, oh. hand building, nice when I'm like hand building lineups, I'm usually like building somewhere between three and 10. Um, but if I'm going to, if, if there's a low stakes GPP that I think has on a slate that I like the slate and I feel pretty confident in what I'm doing, um, I'll try to use the optimizer to generate a ton of lineups. So would the, wow. would your advice to be for the average guy that's tuning in right now, you know, a guy that wants to, you know, play daily fantasy and play baseball on a daily yep. basis, but really let's be honest, isn't going to, he's not as smart as you are. And he's not putting 150. He doesn't have here. as many lineups as you do. He doesn't have the knowledge as you does, but he still knows what he's doing. He really is better off playing in the double-ups, isn't he? The double-ups, the head-to-heads. Would you say that for the average common guy that just wants to play this, that isn't like a huge math guy and doesn't, you know, doesn't have a ton of lineups? Is that the way to approach for like the, you know, in, in the gambling world, Drew, we call it squares and sharps. So for, yep. you know, the sort of square guy, is he better off just playing the double-ups and, and head-to-heads as opposed to even trying to win in these big tournaments? So there's, there's two routes to that. One is some of those double-ups and head-to-heads. I mean, if you play head-to-head against me, if you happen to yeah. land it against a pro like me, that's, that's not a that's, particularly great situation. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> do, you, do, you play, do you play the $1 ones and stuff too? No, I, I play $5 and up. $5 is uh, yeah, yeah. Because I always think that. Uh, I'm, like, I'm like, the Sharks are still playing the $2 ones. They're yeah. just putting yeah. in a bunch I mean, of them. <laughs> and, look, and, look, and look, it's not like five is a huge difference from one or two, but I, I set the threshold. Uh, that's why I've been for, for – for a while, um, but the sites have actually instituted that now, where if you've you know played a certain amount over the course of your career, you can only play certain dollar amounts. So the the sites have kind of caught up there a little bit. But I would say, getting back to the original question on you know if you're if you're trying to like kind of grind out a bankroll, certainly double up and 50-50s, If you can find them with a, a lot of participants in them, if you can find them with like hundreds of participants in them, and in football season you can find these all the time. Other sports, it's, it's, it's more difficult to find across different entry levels. Those are good contests to play because you only have to finish in the top half of the field. But also, there's only so many of people like me out there that are pros. And so you want to play in contests that, that 
the pros can't saturate the field with entries. How do we avoid people like you? If you can only get get X X amount of entries, 500 entries or whatever, you're not going to waste your entry spots with $2 current entries, right? Exactly. Sure. And there's also also beginner-only contests and different things like that that players can take advantage of as well. But I would really recommend, you know, I used to recommend that you really want to grind cash games, and there's a lot of value to be had grinding cash games because that's the way I did it. That's the way a lot of other pros did it. There's more really sophisticated players playing now, so there's not always as much value in the cash games as there was before. I still think there's some really good value in, like, single-entry GPPs, uh, three-max entry GPPs. Now, you're not going to be playing for a $100,000 first prize. You're going to be playing for, like, you know, $700 $700 first prize or yeah, a couple yeah. thousand dollar first prize or something like that. So, you know, your eyes got to get a little bit smaller if you want to play in the contest that you're going to have a little bit higher percentage. And those types of GPPs, as opposed to the double ups, they bring you that upside that if you hit on the right night, um, you can really kind of grow the bankroll that way. All right. Let's get down to uh, tonight. Uh, yes. Then, and uh, a question is pretty much a, a theme of the day. I see a lot of people are. Uh, either running to the window to bet on the New York Yankees against Bartolo <laughs> Colon yes. uh, tonight or want to stack uh, the New York Yankees against Bartolo Colon. But Bartolo Colon has been uh, deceivingly and deceptively actually not too bad, uh, to be honest, uh, Drew. What's your take on the Yankees stack versus Bartolo Colon uh, tonight? I think they'll certainly be the most popular stack on the slate, and I think there's a lot of good reason to that. The fact that you know, Bartolo himself hasn't been too bad. He's been actually pretty good in terms of run prevention this season. But when Bartolo goes wrong, it's home runs. When the Yankees' offense goes right, it's home runs. And that's the way you can rack up a lot of points in DFS. Now, from a game theory perspective in GPPs, there's a question mark of, you know, at what ownership would they be a good play and at what ownership would they be a bad play? Because everything comes down to how owned a team is. If they were 50-plus percent owned in the GPPs, it would be a good play to not have them because yeah, if they yeah. fail, then you're more likely to ascend the leaderboard. But if they're going to be like 20%, then it's probably a good play because they're probably going to outpace the field, you know, more than two, uh, two or three times. So it's, it comes down to ownership. My instinct is in um, smaller stakes GPPs, they're going to be not high enough owned. And in higher stakes GPPs, they'll probably be over owned. So I'm still going to play them in some higher stakes GPPs, but I'm going to differentiate elsewhere and, and try to be different at the positions that aren't Yankees or different at pitcher and stuff like that. Um, but I think they'll clearly be the most popular uh, stack on the slate. And I think honestly deserving. So they're, they're probably the most talented offense on the slate uh, top to bottom one through nine. And they are a team that fits well with what, you know, when Bartolo goes wrong, what they do well. Hey, Drew, uh, what's a good contrarian play from the pitching tonight? And it's interesting when you look at home and road splits like Barrios of Minnesota's in my lineup tonight. A totally different pitcher at home is coming off 10Ks the last game. Then on the road, he gets shelled. Uh, what guys do you like there from a contrarian view? Because I know a lot of people, we talked about it, Renzi and you talked about it, going against Cologne. What are a couple guys on your radar? Yeah, I think Barrios and Bueller will be popular because I think they have low implied run totals against them. They're facing weaker opponents in general. Barrios is a guy that when he has the feel for the curveball, he just racks up tons of strikeouts. Um, so it's just a feel play. If he like, if he has the feel for the curveball, he's great. If he doesn't have the feel for the curveball, it's really annoying. Uh, the matchup with Detroit's really good. I think he's. He, I think him and Walker Bueller are two of the higher owned plays on on DraftKings. On Fanduel, I think Zach Renke will be higher owned. 
um, because he's he's cheaper over there. The guy that I kind of like as a contrarian starting pitcher on this slate, and I don't think he normally would be contrarian, but I think he's getting overlooked a little bit in this slate just because the overall hitting environment is so strong in Texas is Masahiro Tanaka. Um, they have an implied total against it, four runs, so it's about a half run higher than all these other studs. The Rangers aren't a particularly great offense. They do strike out quite a bit. Um, although Arlington is obviously a tough pitching environment on the whole, he's accustomed to pitching in Yankee Stadium, so it's not like he's getting much of a park downgrade in any way, shape, or form. I think he's interesting from um, you know an upper-tier contrarian perspective. And then I think if you wanted to look into the really cheap kind of guys as a contrarian, I think uh, Herman Marquez, for the Rockies, who is getting one of those big park upgrades going from Colorado where he's accustomed to pitching into Los Angeles against a good Dodgers offense, but one that hasn't performed to expectation this year. They're healthier now, so it's a little bit of a tougher matchup. But Herman Marquez is pretty cheap, and he's one of those guys that I'll be using to differentiate in some GPP lineups tonight. Remember last year, guys, the Dodgers became the only team in Major League Baseball history to have uh, winning streaks of 15 uh, games or more and losing streaks of 15 games or more. In the same season, I think the Dodgers are going to start to heat up a little bit. Uh, Puig, we'll see if Puig starts to turn it around. Now, Drew, being you can't mention contrarian, I wanted to be really contrarian on this, <laughs> and I wanted to go with the kid Hernandez with Miami uh, tonight, but I just didn't have the the nuts to do it. <laughs> Maybe if I play a couple of lineups, I like doing it. I'm you know I'm a gambling man, Drew, so. I like being that guy that says, you know what, I'll take that dirt cheap pitcher that no one knows. I'll take the kid. I'll take a shot that he can get through five innings. You know, he threw, he's in a great matchup. He throws, Vargas's ERA is like 14 too like, for the team. Throw. I like it. He keeps it simple, yeah. too, in which, you know, Maddenly says, yeah, he just throws fastballs, but it works for the kid, and he throws strikes, this kid, right? What do you think about just being total contrarian with a kid like Hernandez tonight? He's not He's not awful. I'll, I'll put it that way. He's in our top, he's in our, like, top eight values because he's so cheap. Um, and he's got a good favorable home plate umpire, too, for pitchers as well. Um, and a good park, obviously, the you know, city field, as long as the temperatures are what they are today. And like the, so you the mentioned 60s. umpires, Drew. Sorry to cut you off, but we're running out of time. Yep. You mentioned umpires. So uh, gamblers look at uh, umpires for total yep. uh, purposes, right? This umpire, more overs, this umpire, more unders. But this is something that is part of your routine to know uh, the patterns of the crew and who's behind home plate. Yeah, we look at ball and strike percentages of missed calls, basically, to try to evaluate umpires. So we don't look specifically on over-unders. Um, we're looking more towards the ball strike level on umpires. Yeah, um, yeah. And they, there aren't a lot of assignments announced on Monday yet, <laughs> um, but they, that is one of the more favorable um, umpire situations. I'm looking it up now. I just ha- it's, uh, it's Bruce Reckman behind home plate. He's a, a little bit of a, a starting pitcher favorable umpire. So both Jason Vargas and uh, Eliezer Hernandez for us, because they're so cheap um, in a good park environment and against somewhat weaker offenses, certainly the Marlins a weaker offense than the Mets, um, they're okay for us as like dart throws and GPPs because they're so cheap. And I know Vargas has been god-awful uh, this season. There's, there's nothing to be excited about from Jason Vargas. Um, and Hernandez, the question is just how deep can he go into the game? Um, if, if he can give you five, then you're probably going to pay off that 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 price tag at forty seven hundred. Forty seven hundred bucks. You can have an all star team if you put him in the lineup. That's I'm, the good news. I'm such a square <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, such a public guy. My two pitchers, uh, like Drew said earlier, 
Oh, uh, yeah, Barrios and uh, Bueller. Mine are, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. no. I was going to go with Pavetta, too. He's, he's been lights out the what, last what about Pavetta, Pavetta is a good contrarian pivot. That guy won't be owned nearly as enough. People love the Braves' offense. The Braves are super exciting as a young team. Um, but Pavetta can, can miss bats. He will be one of the contrarian high-end starting pitchers tonight, for sure. Uh, we got one minute uh, here, Drew. And uh, great stuff. Thanks for, uh, for sharing uh, your knowledge uh, with us. Uh, Washington Nationals coming off the sweep against the Dodgers. Um, it seems like they're in a good spot against Erlin. Is it too good to be true? Do you like the Nats bats tonight? I think they're sneaky. Uh, I think they're pretty sneaky against left-handed pitching because people don't realize how good Anthony Rendon is against left-handed pitching. Yep. They don't realize the upgrades at the bottom of the lineup. Guys like Michael Taylor that hit lefties better than righties. So I do think they're pretty sneaky tonight against Robbie Erlin, who's fly ball prone. He doesn't work deep into games, and the bullpen behind him is really bad. I do think the Nats are a little bit of a sneaky contrarian sack tonight. 